Mike Morton, everybody. Let's uh, let's get back. How are we doing here? We all right? All right, we're good. We got the volume. Can y'all hear me okay? We're all right? Okay, good. Um, well, yeah, awesome. Praise the Lord, man. What a great opportunity to just celebrate what God does in our families and, and the lives of the kids, man. What a, what a wonderful thing that is, truly. And I mean, there's nothing like it, you know. If you're a parent and you're raising your kids, I mean, wow, you together partnering with a local church and we're just helping the kids to understand the reality that is a spiritual life and the opportunity they have to surrender their hearts to the Lord Jesus. And what a great ministry. Let me just encourage you, if you haven't taken the opportunity to volunteer in that ministry, you ought to really prayerfully consider that because, man, it is a, what a wonderful, wonderful thing it is. Um, so, man, the, the kids have ended a summer-long campaign of special times learning things from the Word of God, and, and that's an awesome thing. And today we're, in our service here, we're, we're entering into a brand new series. And maybe you noticed the sign out front. Maybe you remember last week we talked about it, but we're going to talk about, uh, it's going to be a character study. It's going to be the life of a very well-known Old Testament prophet named Elijah. And we're going to spend a couple of months talking about Elijah and the details of his life. And, and if you grew up in church and you were young and you were a kid going to Sunday school, you probably heard the stories of Elijah and, and you've probably been well aware of some of the things about his life. I mean, he just kind of appears on the scene and we don't know much about him, but he's got this miraculous ministry where he's doing amazing things that seemingly nobody else has ever done before him. And the end of his life is that awesome event of being taken away and raptured out in this chariot of fire and I mean, there's just some things that you probably are aware of from the time you were young, understanding about Elijah, but we're going to go a little bit deeper. Uh, we're going to get into some more detail about his life, and, and while we do that, we're going to be emphasizing a specific theme throughout. And, and today, um, you're, if you look at your notes, there's, there's a lot of stuff, and uh, we're going to cover it relatively quickly. You're going to have to work, so you're going to have to work with me. And, and let me just give you the disclaimer up front. I mean, we're really going to hit some, some stuff that maybe is new to you and I hope is very interesting. I mean, it's some deeper Bible study. And we don't have a ton of time to just land there and camp out. So this might be a week that, you know, we would say, hey, you know, you might want to go to the website and, and then listen to the message later. And you can go through it again a little slower and maybe it'll help you catch up if, if this is new. But whether you're new to this or whether you're, You've been studying these things in the scriptures that we'll be talking about for a long time. Uh, my prayer is that this will be very applicable and it'll be really helpful. And um, what we're going to be doing through the next couple of months is starting in 1 Kings chapter 17, and you can be opening your Bibles there. 1 Kings chapter 17 is where we're introduced to the character of Elijah, and uh, his ministry here on earth continues to 2 Kings chapter 2, and really there's six specific chapters that mention him and his direct ministry, and like I said, we're going to take a couple of months to just kind of go through that and look at that. As you're finding 1 Kings 17, let me just pray for us, and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, we do just pray that your Holy Spirit would be our guide, would be our teacher. We pray that you would take your word, that you would open it up to our understanding, that you would help us to see our lives in the pages of Scripture. That's something only you can possibly do, and it is something that you desire to do, so According to your will, Lord, we ask that you would do that. I pray for each and every one here that regardless of the challenges that they're facing and the circumstances of their life, and I'm sure that there are many and, and many 
difficult circumstances that people may be going through, Lord, that they would see hope and they would see what your calling and your role would be for them as we walk through some tough times in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we begin this introduction today, again, that you would speak, that, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and you would bless our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So just a little bit of background, fairly quickly. We're going to look at this uh, story over and over again from different ways. First and foremost, historically, we're looking at a time where there's great apostasy in the nation of Israel. Uh, if you're not familiar with the term apostasy, it literally just means falling away from a standing position. So the nation of Israel, obviously God's chosen nation, and they had been doing great for a long period of time, and then they began to fade away, and they began to allow a lot of sinful behavior in their life and a lot of apostasy. Uh, this is a time Elijah is alive about 58 years after the division of the kingdom. After Solomon, the kingdom is divided into 10 northern tribes and two southern tribes. And about 50 to 60 years after that is when Elijah shows up. He shows up during the reign of King Ahab. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about King Ahab through the weeks. And uh, it is just an evil, wicked time. King Ahab is actually the seventh king after the split. And uh, you'll see maybe some significance in him being the seventh one as we go through this. But one of the things you may not know and, and should know is after the split, every single king of the ten northern tribes, which is called Israel, every single king they ever had was evil. The two southern tribes, referred to as Judah, had many evil kings, but they had some good kings as well. And so there's no good kings in Israel, and really Elijah's ministry is more directly with Israel and Ahab, and, and then a couple of guys after Ahab as well. Doctrinally speaking, it's a picture of the coming time of tribulation. Uh, the tribulation is that time period immediately following the rapture of the church. It, we, we anticipate it to be roughly seven years in time before the literal second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As, as we walk through this study, you're going to see that uh, many, many parallels prophetically from the time of Elijah and Ahab that point towards the actual second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're actually going to see Elijah appearing again literally in that time of tribulation as we continue to study. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 gives us a biblical principle. It says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment. And uh, it's just kind of a Bible principle. All of us know that our physical life at some point is going to come to an end. But Elijah's life did not end that way. Elijah never died. And so what we're going to see is that there will be a day when Elijah literally will return to this earth and will die during the tribulation. And uh, a lot of other cool stuff. And we'll just kind of wait for that when we get to it. Practically speaking, and, and, and hopefully most importantly to all of us, because this is where we live, what we're going to see is how to stand for the Lord in perilous times. And, and that's what I've titled this message, but really that's the theme of this entire study. So as, a, as an introduction to the whole study, I just want to present today the very theme that we're going to be looking at as we walk through. As we look at the life of the prophet Elijah... He is a godly man standing for God and standing for his word in the midst of a time when there is great apostasy in Israel. And so the practical application is how can we be godly men and women, stand for God and stand for his word amidst some very perilous and challenging spiritual circumstances in the days in which we live today. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1 says this, know, uh, This know also that in the last days... 
perilous times shall come. Now this is written from the Apostle Paul to his disciple in the faith, Timothy. This is the time of the church age. It's a local church setting. And he calls the last days. And certainly the last days of the church age are the days immediately prior to this grand event called the rapture of the church, which is the linchpin that leads you into then that seven-year tribulation time. In other words, the stage is set. And many of us who study the scriptures uh, agree that we certainly are in what the Bible refers to as the last days of the church age. And so it says that the last days will be characterized by perilous times. If we look at the characteristics of such times, verses 2 to 9, and and we can't look at the things in detail, but, but just notice the similarities of these characteristics with today's day and age. Consider it socially, consider it politically, consider it personally. And, and think, are not verses 2 through 9 and first, 2 Timothy 3 kind of like reading the daily newspaper? I mean, just notice, it says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. What a list that God gives us foreshadowing, foreseeing this time in which we live. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God and having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So these are church people. These are people who would say they love God. They just love pleasure more. And so the list of the things that we read leading up to that, wow, you think there are are some evil people in the world. Well, really, we're kind of talking about people who call themselves believers that have these terrible characteristics. The admonition is from such turn away. And and you can continue to look through verse 9, but there's some examples over and over again of how challenging this is. And literally, history always repeats itself. So the days of Elijah really are not all that different, as we'll see, than the days in which we live. And you know the old saying, the people that refuse to learn from history, the lessons of history, are doomed to repeat those mistakes. And we want to learn from the lessons of history. So if we continued in 2 Timothy 3 and went down to verses 10 and 11, it says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me, the Apostle Paul says. So the Apostle Paul stood in opposition to the spirit of the age in which he lived. So did Elijah. And let me encourage you today. So can we. So can we. That's what I want us to see. Uh, The key verse, in my opinion anyway, in all of the story of Elijah comes in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. When we get to this passage, we're going to camp out and spend some time here. This is the famous story of the sacrifice on Mount Carmel. It says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And so Elijah is a guy who stands and he says, take a stand, make up your mind. If you really think that Jehovah is God, live your whole life for him and follow him. 
But if you really think Baal is God, well, then, man, go for it. Go and live your life for him. Because somehow or another, with this one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom thing, you're kind of no good for anything. And Elijah calls us to take a stand. Pick a side. And I think that's, that's a voice that needs to be heard more and more in these perilous times in which we live today. So two simple points that we're going to look at. Uh, the first one is the person of Elijah. The person of Elijah. And we're just going to look at the very first verse in 1 Kings 17. This is the introduction. You don't hear of Elijah at all until he's introduced right here. 1 Kings 17, verse number 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now next week, if you'll come back, we're going to get into the story of chapter 17 in a lot of detail. So we're not going to get into the whole story. All I want to do is point out that in this, this is the initiation. This is the introduction. This is the first time we hear anything about Elijah. Not much about him, right? So the first thing I want you to see, letter A, is Elijah appears out of obscurity. He appears out of obscurity. We don't really hear much about him. It just says, and Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead, and he starts to prophesy. He's before the king, and he's saying what he's saying. We don't really hear a lot about him. So he's a Tishbite. Well, there's not really a lot of information on the Tishbites and who they are, other than it says that they're from Gilead. And if you know your Bible geography, Gilead is the region east of Jordan, where we have a couple of uh, tribes and a half of, so Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh camped on east side of Jordan, and the other um, nine and a half ended up coming through on the west side, the promised land that God actually gave to them. Uh, literally, if you're going to translate the name Tishbite, what does that name actually mean? Well, what it actually means is a stranger, a stranger. So there's some debate as to whether Elijah is actually even a Jew. And I, I think that we would agree that most likely he's a Jew. He may be from one of those three or two and a half tribes from the east side. Actually, some people think that he may be from a different tribe and just happened to be located in Gilead for some time. So just for some background, understand that Gilead, as a, as a place to live, it's some rough terrain. There's some mountainous, rocky terrain, and the Gileadites really historically are people that reflect the nature of their environment. And that's what we see in Elijah. We see a guy who's rough and rugged. He's stern. He's hardened by his surroundings. He's what we would consider a man's man. He doesn't always have the sweetest, kindest, most polite things to say. He gets to the point, and he says what he means, which would be fitting for a Gileadite. This is the way that he lived his life. This is the man God chose to use in such a time as this. In James chapter 5, and verse 17, it refers to him. It says, Elias. By the way, anytime you see Elias, it's just the Greek way, the New Testament way of referring to Elijah. Elias was a man subject to like passions, as we are. There's no difference between Elijah. He's not special in any way, any more than any of us. He just chose to believe God and to take a stand. And, and just as Elijah had like passions, that means that he has a sin nature. That means that he wrestled with the things that we wrestle with. He just chose to stand. He just chose to serve the Lord. And so we should be able to find some common ground. If you ever find yourself feeling like I'm just kind of a nobody. I mean, in the big scope of things, I mean, who am I really? Where do I come from? I mean, I'm just kind of whoever. Well, you probably fit in great with Elijah. 
He kind of has his appearance, just comes out of obscurity. I mean, there's no mention of his father or mother. There's no mention of his tribe of where he's from. There's no mention of his genealogy or any history of that sort. In that sense, he's kind of like Melchizedek. Those of you who remember Melchizedek, and in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 3 referring to him, it says that he's without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. And regardless of some of the debates of who exactly this Melchizedek is, one thing's for sure, Melchizedek is a forerunner. He's a type and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he's the divine high priest and he is the king of Salem. Well, Elijah, similar to that, with no real uh, revelation of his descent, then pictures a forerunning or a, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is the, also the eternal prophet, Jesus Christ, the prophet, the priest, and the king. So Elijah appears out of obscurity. Letter B, Elijah is a prophet. Of course, he is a prophet. He's known as the prophet Elijah. Uh, he's just not recognized as such until obviously he shows up and starts to prophesy. There's other prophets that are like that in the Bible, and I just want to draw your attention to one of them. It's Ezekiel. And when Ezekiel is introduced in chapter number 2, the first five verses, notice this. God speaking to Ezekiel. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against, the, against me, excuse me, they and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Now, Ezekiel lives long after the time of Elijah, but the circumstances are still very similar. This is a time of the actual captivity when Ezekiel shows up, and God is still trying to get through to his people, and he's raising up key men to voice his word. And he goes on and explains to Ezekiel in verse 5, And they, speaking of Israel who won't listen, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. So regardless of the results, regardless of the reaction of the people, Ezekiel just standing and declaring the truth, at the, at the minimum, the people will know, wow, that guy's a prophet. A prophet has been in our midst. And the same can be said of Elijah. I, I think I have a reference in your notes in Ezekiel 33, and you can just go there. The, the characteristics that Ezekiel dealt with in chapter 33 are just astounding. Let's continue in our notes. Elijah, letter C, found his identity in God. We don't know a lot about his physical family, but it's very interesting because his very name, Elijah, okay, you break it down into a compound word, Eli, E-L-I, well, literally what Elijah means is my God, Jehovah. Do you remember Jesus on the cross on Matthew 27, verse 46? And he shouts out that Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And it's translated as my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? So your Bible defines for you what Eli means. It means my God. And the, the jah, J-A-H, you could find defined in your King James Bible, only, by the way, in a King James Bible, Psalm 68 and verse number 4, who's, talking about Jehovah, whose name is Jah or Yah. Sometimes it might be written Y-A-H. Sometimes we refer to that as Yahweh. Most frequently we refer to it as Jehovah. It is the name of the Lord God of Israel. 
And so, Eli, Jah, my God, Jehovah. That's his identity. His identity is completely hidden in the person of his God. Listen, how's your identity? I mean, do you consider yourself Christian? That your identity exists solely in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of your physical lineage? Because that's the kind of a man God can use. Letter D, Elijah kept good company. Elijah kept, he had great associations in his life. Very practical application of that is one of my favorite verses, Psalm 119 and verse 63. Teenagers, you really need to memorize Psalm 119 and verse 63. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and them that keep thy precepts. Who are your friends? Who are your friends? Are your close companions people that fear God and keep his word? Or do you really have your very closest companions, people who, you know, maybe, you know, like God okay? And don't keep his word at all, but maybe are better characterized by what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Who are you associated with? Well, Elijah, throughout the scriptures, is associated with some pretty high caliber folks. Okay, first and foremost, we have Moses and Jesus. Elijah, Moses, and Jesus make up a kind of a cool little trio of people who appear frequently together. And I'm going to run you through some of the references where Elijah, Moses, and Jesus appear together. And, and it's, it's astounding. Uh, this is the place where if you're going to jot down some notes, jot them down. This is the place where if you need more info, just go home and, and research the references. Because it's amazing. The first time we really see them together is at the close of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. And the book of Malachi, has, it's a short book. It has four short chapters. And at the very end, it's pointing toward, this is the last words shutting down the entire Old Testament revelation. And it points to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse number two of Malachi 4, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Arise with healing in his wings and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And it's pointing toward that day where the sun arises in the east and the dawn of the new day, the day of the Lord, is about to come with the sunrise. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. It is the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ of righteousness. Go down to verse number four of Malachi and it says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant. Wow, he throws Moses in there. Which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Verse 5, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Well, this is way after the time of Elijah. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, God closes the entire Old Testament revelation, pointing towards the Jews and saying, my Messiah is going to come to this earth. And there's going to be associated with Moses, and it's going to be associated with Elijah. Very interesting. So the Lord Jesus actually comes to this earth, and during his earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's our next point, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 17, we see them together again. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth him up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And, and, and Wayne, this is what I was thinking of when, you sang, when we sang that last song. I mean, Jesus transfigured in his glory before all men. What a wonderful event. 
bring it to a high mountain apart, was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, like the sun of righteousness. And his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him, unto them Moses and Elijah. Well, where'd they come from? Why are they here? Well, Malachi said they're going to be. And they're talking with him. And answered Peter and said unto Jesus, you got to love Peter. I mean, Captain Obvious. Lord, it's good for us to be here. This is, this is a good place to be, Lord. This is awesome. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, showing that the timing of this event was most likely during that September feast of tabernacles that the Jews would have celebrated annually. Let's make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Again, a picture of the second coming glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, where God literally returns to earth to tabernacle with man. And so you can decide what you think. I think that the literal second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will happen in the fall of whatever year he chooses to make it happen. We don't know the day and the hour. We don't even know the year. We can't possibly know. But it will be most likely around the Feast of Tabernacles. That's when the Lord comes to tabernacle with man. When did the Lord come the first time to tabernacle with man? It would have been during the Feast of Tabernacles, late September, not late December, sorry. But it would have been late September. That's when the Lord tabernacles with man. And in this picture that ultimately sets up his kingdom, oh boy, Moses and Elijah. That's some good company. Well, we see him again in the tribulation. This time we see two specific tribulation witnesses. Two witnesses in the tribulation that pop up. Revelation chapter 11. This is a great story. This is the Lord speaking. Verse number three. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, 1260 days, exactly three and a half years. Half of that seven-year tribulation, that week of years is divided in the first half and the second half. And so they will prophesy these three and a half years clothed in sackcloth. Who are these guys? These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. I have frequently prayed and volunteered for that job. I just think that that would be awesome. I mean, you know, you, you want to come and hurt me? You know, ah, I mean, that would just be, I just think that'd be really cool. Sadly, that job is already taken. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Well, who is the Old Testament guy that did that? Well, that was Elijah. Oh, also, and the, of these two witnesses, they also have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Well, who is the guy in the Old Testament who did all of that? Well, that was Moses. No surprise. Oh, they're not explicitly stated in Revelation chapter 11, but very simply comparing Scripture with Scripture, it's Moses and Elijah. It's Moses and Elijah. And if you want to see the reference to that, you go to Zechariah 4, uh, and these are the two candlesticks and the olive trees, and, and it's prophesied that stand by the Lord. 
You could dig a little deeper and you could see that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are the only three men recorded in Scripture to have fasted 40 days. You can dig a little deeper and you can find out that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are the only three men recorded in Scripture that around the timing of their earthly ministries, they had multiplied, multiplied miraculous events going on. So around Moses and then his uh, successor, Joshua, there was amazing miracles. Around Elijah and his successor, Elisha, which we'll see eventually, multiplied miracles. And around Jesus Christ, of course, and the apostles, the successors, multiplied miracles. Three instances, three dots on the timeline of history where there were multiplied miracles. That means that the multiplied miracles of signs and wonders and healings and all the things are not the norm for believers in Jehovah God. They are not the norm. They were special, and they were at certain times. There's always an exception to every rule, and the only exception would be during the end of the church age going into the tribulation as defined by 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 and 9. And then shall that wicked, capital W, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, who is this guy, whose coming is after the working of Satan, How are we going to know that? With all power and signs and lying wonders. So there's going to come a time in the last days where there's going to be a lot of people talking about signs and wonders and miracles, but they're going to be a lie because there's only been three times. And those are three very special times for three very special individuals, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus Christ. So don't be deceived being caught up in this movement of multiplied signs and wonders and miracles today because today is not that day. Some pretty good company. Some pretty good company. Well, he has some other really good company, and that's John the Baptist. Very interesting, if you've ever noticed Luke chapter 7 and verse 28. Luke 7, 28 tells us that John the Baptist is the greatest of all the prophets. And I got to tell you, the first time I ever read that, I was kind of puzzled, thinking, did he prophesy? I mean, he baptized, he preached some. Did, did he prophesy? John is, but that's what it says. Of all the Old Testament prophets, I mean, John is the man. And, and so we have this association. Again, the comparisons between John the Baptist and Elijah, I mean, they're just overwhelming. And so I have many verses. We're going to go through them rapid fire. Okay, this is a good Bible study, y'all. You take this one home. Well, we looked at Malachi 4 already, and we saw the close of the Old Testament referring to those three, John, uh, excuse me, Elijah, and Moses, both attending Jesus in the context of the second coming. If you went back to Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 1, it's a prophecy that says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, that prophecy of Malachi 3.1 is fulfilled literally in John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 3. It quotes Malachi 3.1. My messenger, the forerunner of the Messiah. And he's talking about John. Well, in Malachi 4, it says Elijah's coming first. Well, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, And he shall go before him. That, let me clarify, he, John, shall go before him, the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elias. Here we go. 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, that's Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 6. That's the very last verse of your Old Testament that follows that statement that Elijah has to come. So John comes in the spirit and power of Elijah doing the very thing Elijah's supposed to do at the end of Malachi. Are you following me? Are we doing okay? John chapter 1 and verse 21. They go to John the Baptist. They asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? Thank you. It's finally clear. Just ask him a question. Don't you get tired of people just beating around the bush and hiding and staring at you and wondering what you're thinking? I mean, don't you just wish they'd sometimes just ask you? I mean, I do. Let's ask John. John, are you Elijah? He said, nope. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Let's move on. (laughs) Matthew 17. We read earlier the first few verses, a little further down that chapter. Uh, starting in verse 10. And his disciples asked him, speaking of Jesus, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise also shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Verse 13, then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Hey, John, are you Elijah? Nope. Hey, Jesus, what about this Elijah thing? He's like, oh, yeah, that's John. And you're like, okay, so, you know, if I, you know let, let's just make this real easy. Kind of like kids' Sunday school, okay? If they don't agree, I'm, I'm rolling with Jesus. I mean, I'm just going to do it that way. But the truth is, it quotes what John said. Maybe John didn't understand exactly what was going on. Jesus, of course, understood. And, oh, by the way, the Bible does define it for you very clearly. Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Here it is, verse 14. And if ye will receive it, Israel, this is Elias, which was for to come. So, literally, what we have, Elijah is the prophesied forerunner of the coming of the Messiah. Malachi chapter 4, crystal clear, no debate. John was the forerunner to Jesus' first coming, absolutely clear, all the gospel accounts. If the Jews had received Jesus Christ as their Messiah, then John would have fulfilled the return of Elijah. That's what Matthew 11 says. But they didn't. They rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So Jesus Christ is coming back. Oh, and Elijah is coming back. And that's what the Bible has to say. But boy, I'm telling you, that's some pretty good company right there. So when the Bible says that John is the greatest of all the prophets, and when we determine that really John is just a reappearance of Elijah, who's really the greatest of all the prophets? It's Elijah. It's Elijah. And that's why that can be said of John. So that's who this guy Elijah is. And this won't take a lot of time, but the person of Elijah is very interesting. Secondly, the predicament of Elijah. The predicament. Israel was chosen and blessed of God. Everybody knows that. God miraculously led them out of slavery, set them free. He gave them land. He gave them rest from their enemies. They developed an amazing political and military power. They were very wealthy, and here's the tricky part. Hear me, America. When they were strong, 
they took their eyes off God and they put their eyes on themselves. And herein, as they say, lies the rub. This is where their downfall begins. From the apex of Israel's history and King Solomon, the kingdoms divide, and it's nothing but a crash course straight to judgment. They each have their own king, and all of the Israel kings are evil. Most all the Judah kings are evil, and it's just a matter of time. God will judge. This is the predicament in which Elijah finds himself. Seven kings in to this list of evil kings of Israel. But know this, and this is in your notes, evil was at its apex with King Ahab. A few verses before chapter 17 begins, the end of chapter 16 of 1 Kings. It says in verse 29, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa king of Judah began Ahab the son of Omri to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab the son of Omri, notice, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Well, man, you don't want that written of you. That's terrible. And by the way, there was some bad dudes before Ahab. I mean, do you remember Jeroboam? I mean, up until this point, Jeroboam is the guy everybody referred to as the evil-like Jeroboam, who was the first one after Solomon in the northern kingdom. Well, even worse, he married this chick named Jezebel. And it gets worse. Uh, 1631, and it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. No more worshipping Jehovah in the temple. We have a temple for Baal now. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Terrible, terrible situation. Jezebel is is introduced as of the Zidonians. Zidon is a city on the north coast of Israel, today's Lebanon, actually, sometimes referred to as Sidon with an S, Tyre and Sidon. Okay, that's Zidon, and the Zidonians are perennially the enemy of Israel, completely pagan, idol worshipers. And because it's one of the people groups that they never drove out of the land when Joshua came in, the Zidonians remained there, and they were forbidden, the Israelis were forbidden to intermarry with these people, but Solomon took a Zidonian wife, and it became part of his downfall. Well, he took a lot of wives, that's a big reason. But among them, he had Zidonian wife. Turned his heart against God, which, by the way, young adults, is why God does not want any of you ever to marry outside of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will turn your heart against God. You have to marry believers if you're a believer. And by the way, you marry who you date. This is real deep. So watch it. Jezebel, interestingly, by the way, you marry who you date And people who will turn your heart away from the Lord could be religious people. Because Jezebel's religious. That's in your notes. Jezebel is religious. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. 
And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, Thyatira, I have a few things against thee. Why? Because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. She's religious. To teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Ding, ding, ding. Bible study. Great tribulation. Three and a half years, the second half. Except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Verse 24. But unto you I say, and the rest in Thyatira, as many as not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. Please understand, Jezebel represents a false religious system that is referred to as the depths of of Satan. In the book of Proverbs, she's referred to as a strange woman, who, by the way, is married to the political ruler, an idolatrous religious force controlling the politics of nations. Please hear the word of the Lord. The context is the tribulation. Revelation chapter 17, verse number 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of this earth have committed fornication. We are talking about spiritual fornication. We are talking about the kings of the earth turning their hearts away from the real God and turning them towards pagan idols and as a result it is spiritual adultery infidelity it's a spiritual reference and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication who is this well she's not an individual she represents a system verse number four revelation 17 and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken in the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Now, she's not so named in this passage. Can you identify her? It's Jezebel. Oh, from the Old Testament picture. But think about this. A religious system that controls the politics of this world, that is identified with the colors purple and scarlet, that's decked with more wealth than any corporation you ever dreamed of, of gold and precious stones and pearls, that has a symbol of a golden cup, that ultimately is just the rehashing of what was an ancient mystery pagan religion called Babylon, Babylon the Great. If you went further down in Revelation 17, you'd find that it's a city, and that city sits on seven hills. Can you identify her? It's not that hard. Well, 
Let's move on. That's something to consider as we continue this study. God raised up, this is your notes, a powerful witness against his day. So it was at this time in history that God inserted. The worst time in history, God inserted his greatest prophet. There's a 17th century bishop named Joseph Hall that said this, the most eminent prophet is reserved for the most corrupt age. And Elijah has this ministry speaking against the king's of Israel, pointing out their sin, rejecting God and the coming judgment, as we will see over and over in this study. And can I please throw out a word of caution to you Christian zealots out there? The United States of America is not Israel. Israel is the chosen nation of God. The United States is not. Israel was a theocracy. The United States is not. Israel represents a literal, physical, earthly kingdom of heaven. Not here, not now. We are in the church, the body of Christ, a spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of God. So before you find your uh, energy to go out on the street corner and scream at people about the government, and, and when, you know, they lock you up, we do have a jail ministry, so, you know, <laughs> we'll come visit you. Please understand context. But understand this. Literally, in history today, y'all, we're at the jumping off point. This is the last days. We have a divided nation. We are apostate. Falling away from a previous standing position of godliness from our leaders. Headed straight for judgment. We most certainly are past our prime, and this nation will be judged. Can it get worse, you ask? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it can. And what we really need is people like Elijah that will stand and will encourage others to stand for righteousness, righteousness today. I have two short questions in your notes for personal application. Who are you? Who, who are, how are you identified? Do you identify yourself solely in the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and what is your situation? What is your predicament? Are, do you see yourself as a Christian in this present evil world? Or are you kind of cool with the world? You make friends with the world. Because the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. Elisha is the guy who takes over after Elijah is gone. And Elisha, desiring to have the same power that Elijah had, Ask this question in 2 Kings 2. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And you know what, y'all? We could ask that same question. And the answer would come to us in Hebrews 13, 8, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I pray that this study will help you, will challenge you, encourage you to take that stand and to speak for truth in these perilous times that we live in. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless the study of your word, that you would take these truths that we have looked at, that you will transform our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that we would understand the reality of the days in which we live. You are screaming at us from the pages of this book to understand. And each and every one of us may have a different application, but the root of it is the same. 
The world is evil and going straight to hell. And we must stand. We must declare truth. We must help others to turn and to repent before it's too late. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who has never surrendered their heart in salvation to you, that right now they would just humbly do that and receive your free gift of eternal life. And I pray for all the Christian believers that that they would analyze their hearts and their lives and determine, who am I really? How do I identify myself? How does my behavior prove that out? And, And what is my circumstance? And how can I stand and make a difference in this world before it's too late? I pray that you would change us and that we would please you with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? One final opportunity to worship, and this is the opportunity for us to worship in our tithes and offerings as well. You have a connection card. You could put that in the plate as well, and uh, we'll have a brief announcement at the very end of this last worship song. Fountain filled with blood.